0: Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, good. I like to hear that. See, you don't get that on Zoom. You can't get that on Zoom. And you can't do that even with lives so welcome to our first of august service on the civic weekend you know isn't it better to be in the house of the lord than to be in a tent where it's raining anybody want to say amen to that one been there done it don't want to do it again i want to welcome all those who are live streaming with us today bless you guys glad you could join us uh, we were in the service, and, and somebody was saying, hey, I'm joining you, and just let me know that, so glad to know that. At least there's one. Good to have you with us and and joining us this morning. One of the benefits of this is people who maybe are at cottages or trailers are able to watch and be a part of the service. Isn't that cool? Or they're visiting relatives, and they get all the relatives around, and they get to watch too. Uh, so we've, uh, we've seen that happen, and we're just thrilled to do that. Uh, I was just thinking when I was getting into the vehicle this morning with the rain coming, it just started at that time uh, and and I could, I have an imagination, you know that, and I could just hear my grass giggling and laughing in excitement of this rain, the grass is pretty excited and our vegetables are pretty excited and our garden's pretty excited, uh, we need that and so what a blessing it is, God's blessing of even just the rain and it's been refreshing, trust that you're refreshed as well. Uh, we're going to be continuing for a few minutes. We've got a couple more in the series of Philippians, a study in the book of Philippians. And I invite you to take your devices or Bibles with me. Join me if you, again, are watching from home. Join me. Grab your Bible so that you can see and track along. We're going to do a number of scriptures here this morning, so I, it would be important for you to, to be able to follow along. Uh, The series we're on, Paul is in jail in Rome. He's writing back to the church in the city of Philippi, which he started. And the church of Philippi was starting to get grievanced over all the burdens and difficulties they were facing. And Paul just needed to set them straight. He says, listen, guys, I'm in jail. (laughs) I'm I'm not free to do what I want to do. I'm not free to... To get up when I want to get up, go go to bed when I want to go to bed, eat when I want to eat, go and see some. I I have no freedom. And Paul had, of course, been uh, beaten and persecuted and left for dead and a number of things. Paul says, listen, you do not have to let circumstances dictate joy. And there's something about having the joy of the Lord at all times. Now, there's gonna be times where you don't you don't look like you have the joy of the Lord, and there are gonna be times. You certainly don't feel the joy of the Lord, but it's beyond the feelings. Joy is a choice. In this series, I invite you to go and check out the last couple. They've been on podcasts. They've been on uh, YouTube as well, and you can look up the last two that we talked about, which was really Philippians chapter 1. Today, we're in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul takes a bit of a turn, and he begins to talk about a couple of people in particular And these people, these two men, brought him joy. What we want to talk about today, and the title of what I'm sharing today, is Joy of Good Friends. Now, I hesitated to put that as a title. I hesitated to even bring these friends to the forefront this morning, because I thought, that's not really a very spiritual message, you know, the joy of friends. You know, that's a motivational message. But then if you reread it, you realize that's actually what he's talking about. He's talking about people. We are not meant to be islands of ourselves, or some refers to silos of ourselves. We We are meant to be in community with people, not just super casual, but in development of relationships, growing in friendships. Here's the thing. A good godly friend will give you a lot of joy hmm, I'm going to do that one again. A good godly friend will bring you a lot of joy. Now, the converse is true, too. An ungodly friend can bring you a lot of heartache. But a good godly, friendship. God wants to grow in friendships, And you see how valuable this is in Paul's life, the place of friends. And sometimes we as Christians, we spiritualize this. We say, well, I've got, you know, i got a friend in God and 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 that's all i need i don't need others but i'm going to suggest this god plus people equals accomplishments he wants us to invest in each other that together we're able to do things we can't do otherwise and there's no way around it god uses people to minister to us he doesn't just download straight he does but He also uses people. I mean, we're here today. We're here in fellowshiping. We're here around the Word. The songs, ministers, somebody wrote that. It came out of a story, and it ministered to us. came from a person to us. A message, a testimony from them to us. makes all the difference in the world. So God uses people, and we really need to grab a hold of that. God plus people equals accomplishments. A good illustration I came across was a story of a preacher. This preacher saved up money. And he wanted to get his first home. He had lived maybe in parsonage or something. It was time to invest in his first home. And so he bought, all he could afford was inexpensive acres of land. And so kind of like a house like this. Now this is, I just pulled this one out to try to depict a house that seemed to describe what he described. It was a little run down, weather beaten farmhouse, sat on some acreage. It was a sad picture of years of neglect. The land had not been kept up. Old tree stumps, fallen trees, rusted pieces of machinery, all sorts of debris strewn here and there, not to mention a fence that greatly needed repair. The whole scene was just a mess. I'm just going to pause here for a second. Has anybody ever moved into a house that kind of sounded like that? Okay. Okay just John and and John and I okay Um, it's just you go into it and it's just it's it's one of the fixer uppers and whether you ever get to it or not or whether it's ever worth it's a whole other story but many times those are our first houses during his spare time and on his vacations the preacher rolled up his sleeves and got to work he hauled off junk he repaired the fence pulled out the stumps replanted new trees Then he refurbished the old house into a quaint cottage, new roof, new windows, new stone walkway, new paint job, new flower boxes. It took several years to accomplish this. But finally, the job at last had been completed. He was washing up after his last coat of paint on his mailbox. His neighbor, who had watched all this from a distance, walked over and said, Well, preacher, looks like you and the Lord have done a pretty fine job on your place here. Wiping the sweat from his face, the minister replied, yeah, I suppose so, but you should have seen it when the Lord had it all to himself. God plus people equals accomplishments. We think, God maybe will do it all, but he has chosen to work with his family, you and I. And this is the essence of what Paul is speaking of in Philippians chapter 2. Would you go there with me? We're going to read the first four verses. I invite you, would you read together with me one voice? You can read it aloud. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, Of others. The title of what I want to share this morning is, I think, the theme of this second chapter, and it's this, the joy of good friends. It's really not complicated, the joy of good friends. Father in heaven, Lord, as we to- take a look at this second chapter, help us to understand what it is you're trying to say to us. We just don't want a lesson, a history lesson of Paul and his friends. We need to understand why he's saying this, why you're showing this, why this is in your scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Paul was in prison. And there are two people that he draws special attention to in this second chapter. The first is Timothy. Now, you've probably heard Timothy, you've probably read the letters to Timothy. If you were actually to go to first and second Timothy in the Bible you would read of Paul's letters to Timothy and we will actually go to some of those this morning let me tell you a little bit about Timothy Paul was unable to travel back to Philippi he's in Rome he can't go back so he decided he would send his friend everybody say friend friend Friend. okay that's the theme friends he would send his friend he would send his friend Timothy Timothy was more than a partner in the gospel. Timothy was more than a comrade. Timothy was more than uh, a guy that that paced with him. He was, Paul calls him, a friend. He refers to him in, in a dear sense as necessary in order to be a worker for the king of kings. So he sends his friend Timothy back to Philippi on behalf of Paul. He can't go. Interesting, if you read through the New Testament, Timothy is mentioned by Paul more than any other person other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy is the one person he mentions over and over and over again. Timothy, he was quite a bit younger than Paul, deeply impacted Paul for good reasons. Who is Timothy? Well, Timothy was native of either Lystra or Derb. And wherever it was that he's from, we're not quite sure. They're from the southern Asia Minor. It's called Turkey today. He's from Turkey. Timothy was a child of a mixed marriage. His Jewish mother and Greek father, mixed marriage. Uh, Jewish mother's name was Eunice. His dad, we're not told what his dad's name is. Since Timothy remained uncircumcised until he was a young adult, it's fair to say that in his childhood, his upbringing was probably much more strongly influenced by the Greek persuasion. Timothy's spiritual interest came from his maternal side of the family. Both Eunice, his mother Lois, reared him in the ways of the Lord. So there's a little snapshot of Timothy. We read of this, some of this in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. Read along with me. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Down to chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. Pause there. We're going to do that again. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, of, because you know those from whom you learned it. In other words, your background, it was instilled in your home. And, verse 15, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He was brought up in a Christian home. Just going to pause. Mom and dad, moms or dads, invest, invest, invest in just letting your life Share Jesus in the home. Share what faith has, how it has shaped you. Share what you learn from the scripture. Share what God is doing in your life. Let your home life continue to invest in that and the homes. It is so valuable. Timothy's life was framed from his home life. So Paul would actually lead Timothy into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And once Timothy joined Paul, Luke, traveling companions, the two Paul and Timothy would remain friends for the rest of Paul's life. They would remain dear friends. We read some of their friendship in the book of Acts. So let's go over to Acts chapter 16. Again, we need to understand here's the value of what Paul is referring to. When he kind of slides through the second chapter of Philippians and we read about friends, we can so easily just jump right on through it. But we have to, I I believe it's valuable to understand what kind of a friendship this was. So we go to Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came to Derb and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish, a believer, whose father was a Greek. Verse 2. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Verse 3. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now we continue on. Here's the essence. Go back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Okay, pause here again. I hope to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news. Timothy brought him joy. Timothy was a deliverer of joy. His personhood, his friendship brought joy to Paul. Verse 20, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. 21, for everyone looks out for, his, for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I can see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself... Two will come. Three things. I want to draw out three things about friendship. What is God trying to reveal? One, Timothy had a unique kindred spirit that would be developed with Paul. Phrases that Paul uses, no one else like him, equal spirit, like-minded. Um, they had grown in relationship that they actually began to think alike. We need to relate to kind of people like that, people that have the same thinking pattern. Uh, you've ever heard the expression that you're so close that one starts a sentence, the other finishes it. You've heard that. You start a thought, the other finishes the thought. Sometimes in marriage relationships, you know, you you the other one knows exactly where you're going. You start it, and they can finish it. They start and they can finish it. And this was the relationship Paul is He's referring to like a kindredness. They had nurtured this kindredness. Not all of this is developed just, boom, overnight. You're just, oh, we're automatically so suited for each other. Frequently, this is nourished. Frequently, this is developed. And in the relationship of, and Paul says, you're just like my son. You know me. You get me. And I get you, Timothy. And in that, Paul was referring to this, this kindredness that had developed in friendship, not just a casual relationship. You can't get this, you know, I'm, I'm going to suggest you just can't get this long distance by, by uh, you know, whether Facebook or Instagram or, or devices. This is something where you do life together. You do life together. You pace together. You do things together. They trusted their lives to each other. They, they could turn their back on the other and knew they had their back. Neither had to work real hard on their relationship because their relationship came to the point where it actually flowed. It was give and take. It just flowed. It flowed between them. I would imagine it would be a lot like the story, the relationship of David and Jonathan, where they were kindred spirit. Coming across a person who you develop that kind of friendship is rare, Beloved, listen, we need to relate to these people and pray, oh God, help me to be that to someone. Not only was there a kindred spirit, but secondly, Timothy had a genuine concern for others. When Timothy was with others, his his heart was touched by their needs. He really cared. Now, have you ever been with people who you're in a conversation and you know, conversation going back and forth, and you somewhere in the conversation you come to the realization that they really don't care what you have to say. They just want to make sure you hear what they have to say. Okay, have you had those? And once you realize that, you, you, you normally want to eject out of that conversation sooner than later. Because in some ways you start to feel it's a little pointless. They want to talk, but they're not listening. And it's one way, flop-sided, and it's an awkward conversation. It's not really a friend. It's not somebody you want to have a friendship with. You want to have somebody who you are friends with that you can talk to. Now, here is the thing. Timothy had an amazing ability to listen. Paul talks about this. He, he cared about others' needs. When people began to talk, he wasn't, like, thinking about what's going on next. He wasn't anticipating where the conversation is going how many times that happens he actually was leaning in listening and getting feedback understanding the people he was listening and paul identifies that he had a genuine concern for others listen friendships that aren't simply about wanting somebody to hear you but that you have a genuine concern about them you care about them Timothy modeled what Paul wrote earlier concerning an unselfish attitude in verse 3. If we slide back, Timothy, or Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Value them above yourself. That was Timothy. No wonder Paul felt so close to him. you got to respect those kind of people. Thirdly, Timothy had a servant's heart. Paul mentions Timothy's proven worth in verse 22, and proven means caliber, the caliber of your your worth. He was a true servant. And by sending Timothy to people in Philippi, Paul was in essence sending himself. No fear that Timothy was going to misrepresent you, no offense, he would represent you well. Friends like Timothy relieve life's pressure and allows us to have joy. Joy of friends. The joy of friends. Paul's talking, the joy of friends. Here's something, I was, uh, I was reading an article yesterday, and the article was written by Terry Bone, uh, friend of mine pastor colleague ministries and global missions now and he wrote this this article and it was about the relay race you know about the relay race. You've 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 heard maybe stories about the significance of that the thing about the relay race the relay race is not only about the finish line the relay race fundamentally is about the baton you see you can cross the finish line in a relay race and you can be the first one to cross but if you don't have the what if you don't have the baton, you don't win. You've got to have the baton and get across first, right? The focus is not just the finish line. The focus is what? The baton. Now, you want to have fast runners, so you typically have four runners. You want them fast, but the winning or losing of the game is not decided simply by how fast they are. The winning and losing the game is equally decided by how well they pass the baton. There's tremendous life application in this. You see, as I get a little older in the Lord, I don't think I'm old. Not yet, Bob. I'm not old yet. But as I get older, I'm recognizing it's not simply how I finish the race. We often talk about that. It's how well did I pass the baton in running the race. Did I pass it to someone else? My life comes, my life goes, and at the end, the epitaph—that's the end. But who did I pass it to? Did I? And are they running well? Because my life will cease; I'll go to be with the Lord. But the value of what I did—was it passed on? This is really good. You can tell it—it really hit me. I just—I paused when I was reading the article, and I was thinking through that, and I was, God help me. It's about discipleship. It's about passing it on well. It's about passing it on to friends, people around us. Have we invested in them? Now the passing of the baton is not like, you don't, I remember doing this in school, maybe you did too. You know, you're running so fast, you just, (laughs) and you want to get it to them, so you had a guy, throw it. Didn't work very well. Because either they had to stand waiting for it to come, and now they had to turn and get up speed. Didn't work or they didn't catch it, or I threw it, like I'm running, so it's going to land any which direction. Um, it didn't work well. I had to actually drop it into their hands. I had to pass it well. And passing it well, they had to receive it well. They had to understand. We had to actually practice it over and over and over. When I remember in school when I was doing the relays that you didn't spend so much time just learning how to run. You spent all your time training, passing and receiving the baton. You had to be able to do it seamlessly so there was no slowing down. There was no bobbling of the baton. And I think in life, good friends, good friends are the passing of the baton. They strengthen. And in that passing, to receive it well, to pass it well, becomes so key. Timothy was one Paul could pass to and ran well with. There's a second guy that I want to bring up. Paul brings him up in 2 Timothy, or in in Philippians chapter 2. And his name is Epaproditus. Everybody say Epaproditus. Now, somebody in the first service says, Yeah, I think I'm going to name my son after that. Epaproditus. Epaproditus is the second person, and little different than Timothy. The story with Epaproditus Paul is in prison in Rome, and Timothy was sent by Paul to Philippi. Epaproditus was sent from Philippi to Paul. It went the other way. So Epaproditus was coming to encourage Paul. Paul had sent Timothy to encourage the, Philipp- uh, the Philippians, but Epaproditus was coming to encourage Paul. This is where the story... And here's what happened. Paul's in Rome. He's in jail. But shortly after Epaproditus arrives to encourage Paul, he becomes sick. He not only becomes sick, he becomes deathly sick. Matter of fact, Paul says he, he lingered between life and death there in Rome, and he had come to encourage Paul, and he almost died himself, there in Rome, and news of Epaproditus' illness got back, we don't know how, got back to the Philippians, and now they were anxious and grieving, and it was worse than ever, they had sent him in order to encourage Paul, the guy got sick, and now they're worried about Epaphroditus they care about Epaphroditus and they're concerned about Epaphroditus and anxiety was around Epaphroditus we pick this up, Philippians two, twenty-five. Follow along as I read it. But I think it is necessary to send back to you a Papaditis, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Verse 26, for he longs for all of you and is note this part, is distressed because you heard he was ill. I'm going to pause here for a second. He was distressed because you heard he was ill. This guy's almost dying, and he's worried about the guys back. He's worried about the people back in Philippi because he doesn't want them worried. He doesn't want them anxious. He doesn't want them to think God is not on the throne. See, those are good friends. They're not just concerned about their own health and welfare. They're concerned about how how are you doing and if there's a staining of the reputation, they care they care about that. They care about if if you're anxious about what's going on in their life. They care about what you think. Good friends. And it says here, note that, he was distressed because you heard he was ill. He was distressed. that that He didn't want you to know that this was going on because you would get anxious and now you would start focusing and you'd start being concerned about him. And he didn't want that. He wanted you to continue to be strong and to go on in the Lord. Let's pick it up, 27. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, to spare me. Now note this part, sorrow upon sorrow. Paul says, listen, I just wouldn't have been heartbroken. I would have been devastated. That's how dear he is to me. God granted me that I didn't have to have sorrow laid upon sorrow. Sorrow, I would guess the first one, his sickness. The second one would have been been his death. 28, therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I will have less anxiety. 29, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. And I catch this part here. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, this was not an indictment against the Philippians, because they couldn't come. They couldn't all make the travel. They'd sent Epaproditus. But it's the part here. He risked his life to make up for you. He risked his life. Toward the end of the same letter, Philippians chapter 4, we go a couple more chapters, verse 18. Paul says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaproditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Let me just... Conclude a couple things about Epaphroditus. Number one, Epaphroditus, when he arrived, he brought a gift of money to help Paul out. You just don't give money to anybody, you know that. You got to give money to somebody proven trustworthy. And Epaphroditus traveled as a proven trustworthy servant of the Lord. The Philippians gave him that. I mean, it's not just like while well, you're talking in your car, hopping your you know, started up and boom, and you get there and you get out. Epaphroditus, it would take days, days days to get there and all kinds of places for you to lose it all kinds of places for you to get robbed but they trusted paproditus he would get it there he would lay his own life down to make sure that money got to paul and that's what paul was saying that paproditus when he arrived he gave a he gave a gift he was trustworthy friends are trustworthy And when he gave this to Paul, it greatly encouraged Paul. Paul was blessed by it, obviously. See, back then, the prisons didn't look after you. You had to have friends or family look after you. They brought you food. They brought you uh, your clothes. Okay, they provided for you. All the jail did for you was lock you up. But the others had to look after you. And when Epaproditus falls ill, Paul writes with deep affection, referring to him. And note the words he says when he refers to Epaproditus. He's a brother. He's a fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier. He's a messenger, a minister to my needs. These are admirable qualities of friendship. Brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, meeting my needs. And when you've got somebody like that near you, you've got joy. You can carry the burdens of whatever you've got. When I am overwhelmed one of the things I usually discover is I'm trying to do it myself. But when I feel the strength and blessing and the sharing of those in the faith alongside me, and I share it and I come and share theirs, there's great joy. There's rejoicing. We do need each other. There's something about doing life together that is so key to the gospel. In those days when somebody would visit a prisoner, your own reputation was at stake because if you visited a prisoner, you often, people would ostracize you because you know that prisoner, and so you were ostracized. Paproditus, he couldn't care less. He couldn't care less. Didn't matter what others thought of that person. Have you ever been in that, that tread wheel where there's certain people you tended to shy away from because you knew others didn't think of them very well? and you didn't want to be associated with them. I've been embarrassed. That has happened. Where you just, you didn't want to get close because of the association of being close with that person. But Epaphroditus didn't care. He didn't care what people would say. He didn't care the, the stain of his own reputation. What he cared about was that he would help carry your burden. My prayer is, God, give us more friends like that. And God, make us to be friends like that. That it's not all about my reputation. It's about his reputation. And mine can be stained for him. And Epaproditus, it says, he risked his very life. That's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying he risked his own reputation. He risked all the good. He risked all the things that set him apart as a good man in society. He risked it when he came and saw me. That's the kind of friend Epaproditus was to me. He risked it all for me. Danger, risk, didn't threaten their friendship it strengthened their friendship each one deserves our respect so i want to close timothy intimate friend when he comes don't hesitate relate to timothy they're a source of tremendous joy to be a timothy a source of tremendous joy secondly epiproditus he comes to your assistance when you need him he bears gifts He risks his own life. you got to respect them. Give them the respect that is owing. They act out of grace, and they too are a source of tremendous joy. But last but not least is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Doesn't the Bible say that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother? Doesn't the Bible say that we aren't simply part of God's creation, but he calls us friends? That he will never leave us never forsake us i mean even the best of our earthly friends at times will but he never leaves he never forsakes it's not enough just to say oh my friend is jesus and i don't need other people you do you do you need other people but first and foremost we want to bring that relationship but i have a friend nurture that friendship with him he wants me to walk with him in closeness Jesus Christ, our Savior, receive Him. He's the ultimate source of joy. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.